This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, heroes, and welcome to Campaign Skyjacks a show set in an anti-colonial folktale punk world inspired by the music of the Decemberists, the board game Illimat by Together Studios, and classic adventure fiction. I'm James D'Amato, and normally, I'm your host and game master. Welcome to a special presentation of The Maiden and the Heart. This is a short story that I wrote and recorded for the Campaign Skyjacks actual play podcast. Since we posted this story, I got a lot of truly touching and wonderful feedback from it. So I wanted to put it in a format that was more digestible and not attached to an episode of Skyjacks that's already in the middle of an ongoing story. Mainly because I wanted people to be able to share it with people in their lives who they thought might appreciate it in a format that was as easy to find as possible. In the hopes that this little glimpse into the world of Sphere might inspire them to listen to Campaign Skyjacks. But I also wanted to give this fable the opportunity to affect as many people as it could, as so many of you were so generous in saying that you found meaning in it. This story tells the mythological and true origin of Heartroot Tea, an aspect of the world of Sphere that I came up with myself that I see as both critical to the kind of world that we've created for the show and also very minor. This story is told by Margaret, a member of the Society of the Black Lily. The Society of the Black Lilies is a concept created for our show by Allie Brinken, one of the freelancers we hired to expand the world of sphere beyond our own experience. I hope this story conveys all the context you'll need to understand those things, but uh, if you stick around after the story itself, I'll fill in a few gaps. And if you enjoy what you hear, please head back to episode one and join us on our journey through the skies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With all of that out of the way, let's start our tale. You have been stirring in your sleep, darling. The dreams that found you won't bring you the rest you need. Something weighs on you. I can feel the thrum of your twisting in our thread. Lie still. Steady your breath. Your Margaret is here. I am your maestron this night. Feel my arms around you. You do not need to speak. I can feel your words catching. Listen to my voice instead. These hours are too idle for thoughts that sting. And if sweet dreams will not come to you, I shall speak you one. 
It occurs to me that no one has told you the story of the maiden and the heart. It is an old story, one that the sun-kissed lilies taught to me before I took my black. And it is a story that all folk should know. Long ago, before the stars fell, when the seas were tamed to sail and the seasons flowed in order, there lived the soul of a maiden. She was tall and strong, her jaw set and firm, and her shoulders broad. She was the only soul in her village who could string her bow, and when she drew it, it was as smooth as breathing. By all accounts, she was lovely and rare. She had her father's nose and his father's brow, the most noble features of a line of handsome hunters, looks that drew admiration from so many. But she did not love her reflection. All save her eyes. She had her mother's eyes. They were gentle and bright, betraying the softness that lived in her heart. To her, broad shoulders felt awkward and hulking. Her noble features felt thick and stony. She carried too many hard edges. She longed for the curves of her bow. When she came of age, she retreated to the wood to avoid the looking glasses, the plans of many to see her take wife and the world of man. She wandered the queen's passages and tread as light as her frame would allow. Eventually, she slayed a boar. She offered its heart to the queen as thanks for her solitude. The queen has always been fickle. She loves to be praised and paid. However, the boar was already hers, and so too was its heart. The queen felt that her wood was simply invaded by some thick-necked hunter only capable of the barest respect. So she sent her heart. He was a magnificent thing. A stag of pure white, with eyes darker than shadows, and a rack that held as many points as there were stars in the sky. It stood on graceful legs as strong as oaks and ran with the gentle sound of dew falling on moss. It was under the queen's moon that the heart found her. She had finished washing in a pool surrounded by the queen's ring. The heart caught moonlight on its brilliant coat that reflected the bark of the silver groves. Our hunter had never seen such a brilliant thing in all her days, and she also knew that this beauty would mean her death. The beast charged with a delicate thunder. Its hooves were powerful enough to cleave stone, but fell so gently that it did not disturb the moss. It rushed across the water, causing only the barest ripples. Still, it moved faster than any eye could see. A brilliant white flash in the moonlight. Had the hunter been any other, she would have fallen to the stag's antlers. Her grace and reflex were unmatched, though, even by the queen's own guardian. She rolled in time to avoid the cutting stone, and the heart connected with a tree behind her. His charge felled it with a marvelous crash. He looked to find his quarry and finish his task, but the tree was a silver grove, the cruel gift of the sovereign to the queen. Its beauteous bark and sparkling sap are quick to furious flame. 
With a desperate strike of flint and steel, the tree roared ablaze, and the heart stared across the flames at the hunter. He could follow her, but it would risk the fire spreading to the queen's sacred forest. The hunter disappeared into the night. And so it was for a season, an old season, when the spring stretched long across many cycles of the moon. By day, the hunter slept, foraged, and made what offerings she could. She hoped that something might appease the queen. And at times she also wept, for it seemed that even here no one could see her for what she was. By night, she danced with the heart. He was too fast, too strong, too careful to slay without stalking or study, and he left her no time for either. During this time, they only had thoughts for one another. The hunter learned every inch of her pursuer's form, and counted his thousand points in frantic seconds between dodges, sprints, and aching hush. The heart learned the mind of the hunter in careful tracking and thrashed confrontation. She always moved in the ways she needed. She always changed as he learned her steps. It was not every night that the heart met the hunter, but it was most nights. Only on the new moon, when the dark truly settled in the queen's domain, could the hunter rest and hide. The moon belonged to the queen, but the stars belonged to the sovereign, and his light fell only for his creations, and so only the hunter could see. The heart followed scent through unyielding night. Away from the reflection of silver groves, there was no light to guide him, and the hunter had learned to step with gentleness that rivaled his own, so he could not search by sound. He could not smell the ancient iron of the wicked trap, but he felt the teeth. It was a ghastly thing, taut and jagged, built by one of the lesser stalkers that he felled long ago. His anguished cry reached the hunter with ease as she was listening for the whisper of a feather. She found him standing proudly despite his agony. The bright light of the antediluvian heavens of the living sovereign was more than enough for her to see the dark blood on his brilliant white coat. The hunter took aim. The beast was large, but her bow was strung taut enough that a single arrow at full draw could split a log. Over the months of their chase, she had scavenged and crafted three perfect arrows. A lesser thing could never hope to kill the beast clean, and even after all she had suffered, she would accept no other death for the great white stag. The heart could not see her, but he could feel her. He faced her and death with dignity. In her victory, the hunter couldn't help but think the beast was so beautiful, so graceful, so pure. It would be a shame to further sully its coat with blood. Then her arrow flew. It shattered a rock at the heart's feet. The beast reared in surprise, and the hunter knocked another arrow. This one sailed through a narrow gap in the heart's antlers, embedding in an ancient tree behind it. 
The hunter shook as she knocked her final arrow. She aimed a third time, but she knew the truth already. She could not harm the heart. It possessed all the grace and beauty she desired. To destroy it would be to destroy herself. She instead loosed her arrow toward the void of the moon. She approached the heart and laid her bow at its feet and wept. Better to die here. Better to fall to the heart. For if she was pierced by its points, she will have held its beauty inside herself at least once. The heart listened in silence. It had seen the hunter knock and draw countless times, and her aim never erred. He felt the snap of her bowstring and the powerful quiver of its curves. He had seen his death in three ways. Yet each time this hunter had moved the arrow's path to spare him. This was not the spiteful man his mother described. The heart bent his head over the hunter as she wept and spoke. Why have you come to my mother's realm, O child of the sovereign? The hunter replied, I have come to leave the world of man. I do not want to be the thing that they tell me I am. When they look at me, I feel it on my brow. I feel it in my shoulders, and I feel it at my hips. But I do not feel it in my soul. The awareness of this suffocates like death. The heart regarded the hunter's words and the silence that followed. If you do not want what you have been given, then what is it that you desire? I desire nothing, to feel nothing, to spare me the weight of myself. The hunter steeled herself to face the soft beauty of the heart once more, and her tears returned anew. I want one thing. I want your beauty. I want it to be in the world. I see it as the hope that I hold for my deepest self. And the heart caught the reflection of the stars in the hunter's eyes. It was the only light in an endless dark, so they shone like the sun. In them he found her soul. He beheld her as she was beyond flesh, bore witness to her truest self, and could not help but think that he had never seen anything so beautiful, so graceful, and so pure. Dear heart, do not make me wait. I cannot live as I know I am. Let me die with your beauty in my own heart. The heart knew that even at the direction of his mother and the hunter together, he could not harm her. He did not wish for anything more than kindness for the soul he had just touched. No, you are not the callous hunter I have been sent to slay. And so they found a weary peace. The hunter freed and mended the heart's hind leg, and by morning his pains were gone. They spent a time learning to trust and shortly thereafter to love. They came to know one another in the dark and see one another in the light. It was a short time, for all moments in bliss feel brief. 
As the heart had come to know his love, he had also come to know her pain. Even in the softness of love, it weighed. A burden shared is still a burden felt. He came to a decision and made it known. Tonight, we shall travel to see my mother. I am certain she will know how to help you live as your soul yearns. And so they spent a final gentle day and set for the dark heart of the wood come evening. They passed the ancient trees which sit just beneath the stars, over the dark mosses that bruise in sunlight, through the gnarling groves no mind can unravel, to the central ring of silver grove around the sacred glade. The hunter knew better than to enter the queen's glade unbidden, so the heart continued alone. You have disobeyed me, my son. It was not my intention for you to bring the hunter here. He holds the sovereign's grace and gratitude. I do not wish his trouble in my woods. Mother, you have mistaken her. The heart was bold, as only something loved by someone so dangerous can be. Am I, child? The queen was fickle then, as she is now, and sometimes favored boldness. Yes, mother, I have seen the hunter's heart. I was outmatched. Three times the hunter's arrows found my heart, and three times I did not fall. There are many who would die to claim my head. This one would die to see me unharmed. She may have been given the form of the sovereign, but her soul is a gentle beauty. Does this hunter please you, my son? Yes, mother. Then she shall be yours. She is free to wander my woods so long as she offers love to you, and so long as that love should please you. Mother, wait. I did not come to ask you for her. She is not yours to give, nor is she mine to take. She has offered herself to me, and I offered myself to her in return. I came to ask you to help her. Her soul is at odds with her form. It causes her pain and drove her from her home. Give her the power to change as you have done for me. Free her from this suffering. I cannot, child. The heart snorted. Are you not the queen? I am the wood. I am the soil. I am the screaming verdant dance of life and death that swallows the mountain. I am the sun that makes day. At night, I am the moon that shines in a predator's eye. I too am the prey and the rot that claims them both. Yet you cannot help her. She is as the Sovereign wills. Then it is not fair. She is in pain. The Sovereign wills many terrible things, child. As do I. But you have given me grace. I am not touched by illness or time. I do not know hunger or chill. All things in my power to give. 
but the power to change is yours. Then, can I help her? Yes, child, that is within your light. But it is no small task, and it carries a heavy price. Then I shall pay it. So rash, you offer what you do not know. I do not know the price, but I know what it buys, and that is worth anything. You must give your life, the one I have given you. You will have to change again, and it will be a life that you do not know. The queen hoped his heart would waver, but it did not. Then it will be done. You will have to stay with her. You cannot grant change to a child of the Sovereign so simply. He clutches tightly. Your devotion to her can never waver. Then it won't. Others will come to seek your power. Her soul is not the only one touched by the Sovereign's spite. Then I will help them as well. His resolve was unyielding. She saw that he had come to the fullness of his light. And she felt pride, but it was touched by sorrow. Oh, my son, I shall miss you. Then I shall remain as well. And then the hunter was called to the glade. She beheld the forest in its sprawling majesty, and so too did the forest behold her, and saw her as she was. You are the hunter who has captured my son's heart. The hunter nodded. I have already bid my farewell. You must bid yours while we still have night. The hunter was gripped by fear and sorrow as she rushed to the heart who was laid in a patch of dirt. She sputtered and choked a protest, but he called her to quiet. I offer this to you, and any so afflicted. I am not leaving you. I am to become a part of you as you truly are. You will have my grace, my beauty. You will look upon yourself and love you as I love you. I will give you this change and it will taste sweet. Tend me and care for me and that sweetness will be with you for all your life and all the world. I shall not see you, a maiden, but I shall feel it. The hunter listened as she wept into her lover's neck. Eventually, the tears slowed. Be with me as I change. And the maiden drew back and held her love's face as he shifted. He filled the dirt and became a splendid bloom of tender white flowers. His thousand points became strong and hearty forking roots. The hunter knew that he was not gone, but he had changed, and that felt like absence. The queen's hand held her from despair. Come, child, I will show you how to tend his roots, and they are not watered with tears. And so they did. As the season shifted outside the glade, the queen held the summer in her court. 
He spread as swift as a bloom as he charged as a stag. And soon he lived in all empty places, still careful to step with grace around the life that his mother so cherished. The queen and hunter harvested the root and used it to brew, and this became heart root tea, the gift that allows all who desire to change. The first heart root tea was shared in the queen's glade, surrounded by loving flowers. It had much of what the hunter sought, but she knew it was not done. She searched the full bounty of the forest, mixing columbine, willow bark, thistledown, and gentle summer leaves. In time, she was a maiden, her own maiden, with light shoulders, arms strong enough to string and draw her bow, and soft features that matched her mother's eyes. The queen found in her the beauty and grace of her son, rooted in the joy of a soul finally in bloom. When it came time for the maiden to leave, the heart root followed her and flourished. It is found in the cups of many who are called to change, and it waits in gardens and brilliant wild patches for those who have not yet put words to their yearning. It also stayed behind and lived in the queen's court, which is now always summer so that she can watch his white coat sway in the blooms. This is a story, an old story, older than the fall of the stars. But we know that it is true, for when we dig beneath those tender white flowers, we can see the thousand points of the heart, strong and full with the power to change. There now, I can feel it lifting. Your thread now sways as gently as breath. It is calm, but not a calm for resting. I think that I will make some tea, and if you feel ready, I will pour you a cup as well. I sincerely hope you enjoyed that presentation. Before we go any further, I would like to note that the original music that you heard for this program was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott, whose work can be found at atptunes.com, and that this program was edited by Casey Tony, whose editing and performance work can be found on his own podcast, Neo Scum. 
Now, I said at the top of the show that I'd fill in some context for those who might not have it from listening to all of Campaign Skyjacks. If it wasn't clear in the story, Heartroot Tea is a thing that exists in the world of Sphere, that is the setting that Skyjacks takes place in, that allows people to physically transition themselves. Now, the most obvious and common use of this tea is to allow someone over the course of weeks or months to transition between different genders. Heartroot tea works a little bit differently than some transition methods in our own world, in that it is a blend. One can mix heartroot with almost any ingredient imaginable to produce an herbal tea that, thanks to the qualities of whatever you've blended the heartroot with, will help you transition into whatever you think your gender should be. If you would like masculine features but no facial or body hair, that's an option. If you'd like feminine features and a deep baritone voice, that's also an option. The quality of Heartroot Tea and its infinite blends allows people to develop the bodies that they truly want for themselves. And a person can do this without any expertise or experience, as the Heartroot blend that is appropriate for your goals will taste sweeter to you. As we said in the story, Heartroot grows everywhere in the world of Sphere, and despite having spread across the world, it is also non-invasive to native species. The world of Sphere, generally speaking, is kind of a harsh and dark place. But within that darkness, I wanted to cultivate kindness and make certain things just much easier than they are in our world. The heart of it is I want everyone to be able to see themselves in this world. And for trans folks especially, I like the fantasy of a life that is easier and more on your own terms. My spouse is non-binary, and I have sat with them as they navigate a world that prescribes things for them and gatekeeps the tools that they need to feel comfortable in their own skin. The fantasy that I have for them, and so many others, is simply to live on their own terms. And thanks to Heartroot Tea, I know that in Sphere, people can live with that comfort. If they also have to deal with the cursed waters of the hateful sea. I guess you win some, you lose some. The other big thing that is not mentioned but alluded to because our narrator is Margaret, a member of the Society of the Black Lilies, is the Black Lilies themselves, which, as I said at the top of the show, are created by Allie Brinken. The Black Lilies are kind of a combination of sex workers, witches, and therapists. A somewhat secret society of people who practice sex work and also have access to magic that is powered by intimacy. They serve as healers, counselors, mentors, midwives, and foster parents, counseling people to live their best lives as their truest selves through many methods, some magic and some mundane, including very occasionally a late night story. Finally, the mythological figures that were included in this tale, the maiden, the changeling, and the forest queen are luminaries. Something in the world of Sphere that dances between the idea of a god, a spirit, and a story that insists on itself over time, retelling itself with real people and beings being the players, all tying into the idea of folk magic, of beliefs held in places that become traditions and then, in a certain way, become truth. I hope that clears up any confusion that folks might have had listening to the story and gives you everything you need to dive into the world of Campaign Skyjacks by heading to episode one of Skyjacks on our feed and enjoying it. If you go back really far, you'll find episode one of the campaign podcast, which was a Star Wars actual play story. Uh, it will not have any of these elements in it, but is still quite good. If your podcatcher allows you to divide things by seasons, Skyjack starts with season two. 
With all of that said, the cast of Skyjacks, myself, Liz Anderson, Johnny O'Mara, Tyler Davis, John Patrick Cohen, and Nathan Blades, all bid you welcome to our world. And for those who will not be staying with us, we hope you enjoyed your visit. Remember, there are no kings. Take flight. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind. And once for our friends ne'er rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind. Who know we can never deny. The call of the sky. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind. And once for our friends ne'er to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind. Who know we can never deny the call of the sky. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com.